You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, everybody. If you're interested in learning how to leverage LinkedIn for your business, this episode is sponsored by my book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful LinkedIn Users. If you'd like to get a free copy, just send a text to 33444 with the word seven habits. That's the number seven habits to 33444. Let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is John Fairclough. John founded the Resicom Group to help retailers optimize the way they improve and maintain their store environment. Under his leadership, the company has evolved from a local construction company into an international provider of facility maintenance and construction services. Now John enjoys sharing his story to inspire others. He owns a variety of different businesses, so I'm very interested to dig into this episode. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Yes, great. So we were talking a little bit beforehand, and today we're going to talk about something that we've never talked about here on Growth Experts, which gets me very excited, and that is unlocking the potential of any company's biggest assets, and as you and I and everybody should know, that is their employees. But before we dive into that today, I want you to do us a favor and give us a quick backstory. Tell us a little bit about you and kind of how you got here in a minute or two, and that'd be great. And then we'll dig right in. Okay, great. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for asking me. I um, I grew up in a really tough environment and grew up extremely poor. And I mean, I, I even lived in a car. So I mean, I had a lot of very difficult things to, to endure. And through that, I built, I guess, a bunch of resilience and perseverance to handle whatever problems came came my way. And so in my in my late teens, I, I um, joined a, a family business and worked for a family member for a little while and bounced around a little bit before I finally found my home in my uncle's painting company. And my first year, I didn't really make much money, but I worked my tail off. Second year, I doubled his business. And from there, it just uh, we just grew for, for a handful of years. And after a couple of years of doing well in the company, we decided to part ways and uh, I, I started my own company. And 18 months later, I had uh, 80 employees and uh, we were off to the races. And so that was a, was that a painting company or was that a different business? That was painting and maintenance, facilities maintenance. And then that since has kind of evolved into your Resicom group. Exactly. Perfect. Okay, great. So today, tell us a little bit about what Resicom does. So we provide facility service, construction services to retailers across the U.S. and Canada. So there's three basic types of service. One is general construction or remodeling. So we renovate stores. The second one is repair and maintenance. So as things break, we go out and fix them. And the, the last service is kind of a blend of those two, which is called special projects. And that's any way that the retailer dreams up that, that uh, they could better connect with their customers, we, we execute. So if they want to change paint colors, change their flooring, renovate, redo their, I'm sorry, redo their fitting rooms, change out their cash wraps, install digital marketing in their windows, we handle all all these different types of projects for them. Oh, interesting. Okay, great. So if you could do us a favor in any format that you want, how big is the business, whether you want to go into revenue, employees, growth, however you want to frame it, give us a sense of how big Resicom is today. 
We handle about 3,000 projects a month. 3,000 projects a month. Wow. So so if you had to put that, you know, you, you don't need to give me an exact number, but if you had to put that in terms of less than 10 million or over 10 million, where do you think some, where do you, where does your business fit? Larger than 10 million. Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. All right. So that's awesome because obviously you have a thriving business and that's what we really try to focus in on here on growth experts is to bring real entrepreneurs who have real background in building real high growth businesses. So Again, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to dive into that, unlocking the potential of any company's biggest assets. But before we do that, I'm curious. So you have 3,000 different projects per month. Now, that's probably spread across a whole variety of different clients and customers, retail type clients. But I'm curious, trying to get a little micro into your business, what's the number one strategy that you guys are using today to get new clients for Resicom? Well, zeroing in on, on what they really need. And so- we believe that we could help them better use their budget and we guarantee it. Okay. So you zero in, but how do you start those conversations? How do those leads come in? How do those relationships evolve? I'm sure you have longstanding relationships with your existing clientele, but as far as new clients, new business, new opportunities, where do those come from? What channel do you use to generate those that new business today? Got it. So, so we identify who our target market is. And then from the target market, we've gone even uh, deeper to, to identify who our ideal fit is. And then with the ideal fit, we printed materials, we have electronic materials, we have video, we've started putting together animated infographics, all kinds of different kinetic typography. We use a bunch of different methods to convey our message. So would it be more like an a specific offline or a specific online marketing strategy, or is it much more of a sales type organization where you guys are doing a lot of cold outreach via cold calling or cold emailing? Are you doing speaking or events? I mean, if there was, I don't mean to belabor the issue or beat the horse, but I really want to hone in on this because you've got an eight figure business. That means you're doing something right on the customer acquisition side, right? Obviously you're taking care of your clients, but you're doing something on the customer acquisition side. How did the, you know, so if you think about it, how did the last handful of big clients come in for your business? We've been able to acquire our top clients by being present in the sandbox that they play in. So there's trade shows, trade associations, things like that, that, we're, that we participate in, that we're active in. And then uh, it's all the basic outreach that, that anyone would want to do. Some people on our team have wanted to abandon some of that, but I'm afraid to do that. Maybe it shows my age, but uh, some of the younger guys have, have more aggressive or more digital ways that they want to go about things. But to us, it's pretty simple. We have our, an ongoing campaign. We only send out information that we believe is relevant to the people. If you think about marketing in terms of sending something out one to many, we believe that relationships are built more one-on-one or one in small group. So we'll spend, we don't have a problem spending hundreds of dollars on putting together individual email video for just that one prospect. Because if we're able to secure the work, it could be a significant amount of work. So rather than doing a lot of throwing a lot of things to the wall to see what sticks, I like very, very focused you know, messages that, that connect to what that, that buyer's real needs are. So our clients are retailers. So we go visit their locations. We get an idea of what they're facing. We ask around the industry to see what we can learn. And then uh, we look at the people that have been there and where they've worked prior. So we have some insight on that buyer. And then we go out and, and build a message that we believe is going to re- resonate with them. And oftentimes the way to get into the opportunity is we have a, a couple of burdens. One is to show that we're viable. Number two is to show that we can solve whatever challenge they have. Um, and we like 
sell ourselves on our ability to solve the challenges that they don't give us. So to do all of these, we have to be dependable. And those are the things that that's the burden of our initial push of information. We want to make sure that they see that we're, we're viable. We can do what they want. We can solve other challenges they haven't figured out and they can count on us. Perfect. No, that's a great framework. I appreciate you digging into that because that's exactly what I think my audience needs to hear. So we're going to pivot a little bit. Can you, you know, you've been an entrepreneur. When did you start your first business? How long ago was that? Out of fear of sounding old, (laughs) about 25 years ago. Okay. So we're in the same boat. So don't worry, you're not alone. So what has been your experience or what's been the biggest challenge that you faced in growing Resicom to the eight-figure business that it is today? If you had to pick one, and I'm going to tighten you up here and make you only pick one, what's been the biggest individual challenge that you faced in building Resicom? Unifying the leadership team. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, as a company grows, you, you add people and the people that you bring on that have experience and talent, they're bringing that to the table. And it's difficult sometimes to, to harness all of that because people want to apply their experience to the challenge because they've had favorable results or what they determine as being favorable. And so when you get five or six of them in a room together and they all have uh, varied experience, it's tough to get them all aligned, especially when so many are so opinionated. The heavily opinionated people tend to have leadership roles because uh, they're willing to put their neck out there. So to reconcile all of that, you need to have a, a shared unified vision. We haven't always had that. And that's, so that's been a struggle that's kept us away from being anywhere near our potential. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's a really great point. Thanks for digging into that. I think we're probably going to talk a little bit. We're going to peel that onion back a little bit further. The people part of the business, right? Because as promised, you know, we're going to talk today about unlocking the potential of any company's biggest assets, which is obviously their employees. And John has done a great job with that in his various businesses. So I'm going to ask him to share maybe some tips or strategy or a basic framework of how he does that within his organizations so that everybody that's listening to this podcast can learn from John ahead of time and try not to make the mistakes that we've all made throughout this process of trying to grow our business. So where do you want to start with that, John? I think maybe the first piece would be to recognize the position that people are in. If someone's in an operational role, typically their vision is just a couple of days in front of them, right? They're, they're very, very short term thinking. And the people that are maybe the visionaries of uh, the visionary of the, of the business or someone that's in sales or in taking on new initiatives that maybe doesn't bear fruit right away, they have a longer horizon. And so I believe that if we can look at what someone's time horizon is, the way that they're looking at, at the work, that that would make an impact to on how we deal with them. Because it's not necessarily sabotage because this short-term guy isn't in applying the long-term goals to, to what he's doing. He just might not be thinking of that in that moment because he's got that immediate need. So it's around not demonizing people because of their point of view, because that short-term outlook is essential to being to performing well on each individual project. And ultimately, we're not going to get more business from our clients if we don't perform on each project. So the people with a longer-term horizon or work that doesn't bear fruit for, for a long time, what they're doing is very important and should basically lead the way for the, the manner in which the short-term people make their decisions. But it doesn't always happen that way. So that, that I believe, is a, the first item to, to consider. So if, if your audience, is, if they're leading businesses and they're feeling some frustration with folks, I would say take a look at what the people's horizons are and then look at the way that they're responding to what's going on. And you might find 
that it really has to do with a point of view and then bringing those together to modify the short-term method to match the long-term objective is where the gold is. Okay, great. Perfect. So that makes sense. Step number one, where would you go next? Well, I think if you're trying to, to get the business to perform better, too many decisions get made top down. And so that whole servant leader mentality should really kick in that says, what is it they really need? And going down there. And, and what happens is when you do that, you're able to learn what they're really facing because a lot of people's solutions really aren't well thought through and they don't look at the unintended consequences of their decision, but they know that it makes it easier in that moment. And so it's shedding those, those band-aids um, that will really help, help the business heal, uh, you know, modify itself, and then operate at, at a higher level. So I would say engaging the team that is responsible for the task in it. But just because they're the ones doing it does not mean that they have the authority to change the way that it's done. They have a seat at the table, but oftentimes those folks that are doing the work don't have the creativity that's needed. So the first thing that I would do above all else is to recognize that people are people and we need to respect that they're people. We certainly have to to earn trust, but we have to see the good in them. And if we don't see the good in them, it's going to be hard to help them remedy any any shortcomings. Okay, that makes total sense. So, can, you know, you were talking about servant leadership, and and just in my experience, you know, entrepreneurial. You know, you admit you've said a couple of things that have really resonated with me. Number one, when you get a bunch of alpha males together, they all want to have that voice, and it's hard for them to all see the same vision, and they want to have their own interpretation of it. And I definitely see that as an issue in the servant leadership side. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think. That that's a term that that a lot of people don't fully understand. I think that entrepreneurs have this tendency to believe that they are the leader in the business and that everything they say goes and that they have the last say. And I think that that obviously causes a major issue and a ripple effect throughout the organization. Could you talk a little bit about maybe what you've done from a leadership perspective to promote that type of culture, that servant leadership type of culture in your organization? Sure. And just to address the, the point that about the, the dictator style, it's actually effective. You know, whether it's micromanaging or whatever, even though these are not popular or well-regarded terms or they're viewed as being negative, they're not always negative. Sometimes it does take micromanagement to get something done. Sometimes it does take someone to just say, this is exactly what I want you to do with no variations. So I don't want to just throw that out as if that's bad management because it it can be effective. But I do believe that it has a much lower ceiling than the servant side. So the way that we approach that is say micromanagement is a very effective tool. That's why it's used. But it has an expiration date usually much earlier or much sooner than the person who's doing the micromanaging. So if you think it's going to take two weeks of micromanagement, you probably have about four days before you start driving the people crazy. So just wanted to put that out there because I believe it's a misnomer to brand it as being something that should be avoided. But on the servant side, it really talks about the way I understand it is, or I shouldn't say the way I understand it as if it's a, an outside concept. What I mean by servant leadership is to appreciate the people that are on the team, to look at them and see the good in them. And I use my children as an example here. What impact would it have on my daughter if I didn't see the good in her, right? What impact would it have on her if I didn't want her to obtain the missing good? And what impact would it have on my daughter if she didn't believe that I believed in her, that I was hopeful for her, that I was there to cheer her on? And so you know if somebody if somebody sees the good in you, 
because they ask your opinion, right? They compliment you on your work. You know, if somebody is hopeful or someone has the desire for you to obtain your missing good, when they take the time to teach you or they point you in a direction of someone else that might be able to help you better. And you know, if someone's hopeful for you because they cheer you on, you're, they're there. They personally accompany you on that. And so we know that what the impact to my daughter would be if one of those things wasn't present. Well, business is really the same thing. A manager has that kind of responsibility. So if the manager doesn't see the good in their person or isn't, uh, doesn't want them, their person to learn or isn't hopeful for them, my goodness, what kind of impact does that have on, on that person's performance or on the tenure of their time with you? It can have a, a devastating impact, just like with my daughter. So the way that I would describe that is that manager has disqualified himself or herself from being able to manage that other person. I don't believe that the person that's being managed is the one that's disqualified from the job. So there's that saying that you hear from time to time, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad managers. Do you believe that to be true? And has that been part of what you've witnessed in the growth of your businesses? Sure. I mean, sometimes people leave because, you know, for other, for other reasons and sure. other opportunities. And, and, you know, there's an entrepreneurial spirit that's inside of some that maybe isn't allowed to come out. But if you truly believe in looking for what's best for the person, and if the person, if that's what, if that's why they're leaving, oftentimes there's an opportunity within the organization to have them basically satisfy that hunger. So, but you're never going to get to that if you're not personally accompanying the person. So that that's the manager's responsibility to help all of the good come out of that person. Yeah, that makes sense. That's perfect. No, I appreciate that. And I think that makes a ton of sense. I think when you think about that, it's really a cultural shift, right? A lot of when when you start a business and it's just you and you're the chief cook and bottle washer, and then you add your first employee and your second employee, you're creating that culture and you're creating that servant leadership. And it starts from the top down, right? And so I think that basic framework that you shared with us can be really, really valuable, particularly people that are early in the growth of their business. So we're going to take a quick shift. The next couple of questions we're going to do are going to be rapid fire. So the next question is, what is your favorite growth tool or software today that you're using in your business? A video camera. So you're just doing a lot of video. So it's really video that's, that's a big push for you guys right now. Well, I'm a, you know, people describe me as a bear that, you know, I take on a challenge and, and, you know, I, I get it done and it's not always super appealing to, to read it. But if someone is able to see me live and they, they see the passion that I have and the, the, for whatever reasons, it transcends whatever someone's uh, views might be on, on a matter. I'm able to, to connect with people, much like a movie is able to connect with a wide demographic audience. So video, I believe it's more entertaining, but it's also more full of a communication rather than just the written word. Yeah, or just for sure. Totally agree. That makes total sense, especially if you're doing kind of what you talked about earlier, which is personalized marketing, where you're putting these very personalized marketing messages and proposals and content in front of them. And if it's in a video format, you're obviously going to be able to get their attention a lot more. So that's perfect. All right. So what's one book that you've read in the recent past that you would recommend to my audience? Go-Givers. Bob Berg. Yeah. Go-Givers. Sell more. Go-Givers. And then anything by Patrick Lencioni. Perfect. All right. Listen, awesome. This has been great, John. I really appreciate it. So before we close out, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, and we'll wrap it up for today. Best thing would be to, to email me directly, uh, john at resicomonline.com. And I'm happy to share further anything that anyone would need. Good. So I'll put that in there. If you want to, I'll, I'll add your website as well, if you'd like. I'll make sure I add those links to the show notes. 
And listen, I really appreciate you being on the show and I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Likewise. Thank you, David. All right, Dennis. Thanks, Sean. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.